Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. No power Welcome to A Public Affair. I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host. I'm joined in the studio today by WART volunteer Sarah Gabler, who will be talking about our fall pledge drive. With me, this is the last day of our fall pledge drive. If you haven't yet donated and you appreciate a public affair and the in-depth, timely conversations we have here, please do give us a call during this hour to help keep the show and WRT going. The number is 608-256-2001, extension 1. You can also donate online at wrtfm.org. On today's show... We're going to give you the kind of access to local leaders that has become a hallmark of this program. On a public affair, we prioritize not only covering national and international issues, but also covering and celebrating your community. Today, we're joined by the new City of Madison forester, Ian Brown, to talk about all the ways that trees are entwined in our lives in the city. And we'll dive deep into the complex rewards and challenges of doing community forestry in an urban area and in a warming climate. Ian Brown is a certified arborist and the City of Madison forester. He began leading the City of Madison's Urban Forestry Division in May after working for the forestry section of the City of Milwaukee for the past 15 years. Welcome to A Public Affair, Ian. Well, thank you very much for having me. We're really happy you could come down to the studio today. And I want to welcome all of you listeners out there as well. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question for my guest Ian Brown about urban forestry and trees in the city of Madison, or you want to share an anecdote about a beloved tree or an issue with city trees, please do give us a call. This is your opportunity to get insight on how decisions are made about the urban forest here in Madison. And if you want to call in uh, to talk to Ian Brown and ask a question, the number is 608 608- Two five six two zero zero one extension nine. So that's extension nine for callers for a public affair today. Extension one for donors for our ongoing fall pledge drive. You can also reach out to us on X or message a public affair on Facebook. So Ian, welcome. We're going to get started today uh, by just having you give us a sense of what a day in the life of a city forester is like um, and what what does one do as a city forester in a city about the size of Madison? Uh, For starters, I guess I'm still getting acclimated. Uh, As you pointed out, I I started in May and uh, it's been a great few months. Uh, There's still a lot to go. Uh, One thing that excites me about forestry as a whole is it's seasonal in in the tasks that we do. And so, you know, what we do in the summer is different than the fall, is different than winter, is different than spring. And so there's this uh, a constant evolution and turnover in what our staff are doing, um, what our priorities are, and actually the the relationships that we're able to build. So, uh, you know, right now in fall, we're we're getting into our fall planting season. Um, You know, winter we focus on pruning. Um, Summer we do some of that as well. So um, there's actually quite a variety of, of what we're able to do uh, in my day-to-day meetings. Uh, 
you know, I've had it described as drinking from the fire hose. There's a ton of stuff. Uh, you had mentioned my experience and tenure with the, the city of Milwaukee, and I, I was happy for a long time there. Um, still have very fond uh, relationships uh, there within the community. And um, I was used to being like one of the folks that people came to. Um, I, I'd been there a while, um, had a lot of relationships. That's the most challenging part of uh, kind of uprooting and moving is um, building those new relationships, uh, identifying who those partners across the community are, um, who the relationships are in, in even internal city departments, who do you call, um, and, you know, building up what we're able to do, um, both for me personally, as well as uh, our a city forestry staff, uh, working on engaging internal, external, um, the community of Madison as a whole is very environmentally friendly, focused and supportive. And I, I want to be an effective steward for, you know, how we're, we're fitting into that mold within the community. And you described your job when you took it back in May, I read as, as your dream job. Um, what's most exciting for you about this particular time and place for being, you know, city forester in a city like Madison? Uh, well, I, I think Madison itself, it, it's a, it's a growing community. Um, it's a community that loves trees. Uh, they have dedicated funding as urban forestry special charge for, for trees. And so, um, you know, when you talk about community support and, um, elected officials too, kind of putting their money where their mouth is and, and saying that this is what we want. Uh, it's really exciting to be able to step into a situation like that and, um, to be looked at and trusted, uh, regarded with, you know, kind of getting the keys to the car of, you know, where, where can we go? Um, I feel like what we have here, uh, with the team and the community as a whole is a really knowledgeable group of folks to work with. Um, I'm looking to bring some ideas to the table, um, float some things kind of down the river and see what people are interested in. Um, I don't have the answers for everything and I'm not looking to try and, uh, you know, shake things up. It's, you know, going with what the community wants, um, and finding new effective ways that we can try and take the community forest of Madison as a whole. So both public trees and private trees, uh, into the future. You mentioned new ideas, initiatives that you're, um, floating or, or brainstorming right now, um, any of those you'd like to share in terms of new directions that the city forestry department might be taking? I don't know that it's new, but uh, you know, something that I've shared uh, fairly broadly since my arrival is, is I'm really interested and committed to supporting canopy. So when we talk about urban tree benefits, uh, you're talking about big trees, mature trees, uh, energy benefits, stormwater benefits, those are all coming from big trees. Um, big trees only get there because there were little trees that then were fostered and given the opportunity to grow. So, um, as a community, I'm less concerned about stem count, meaning, you know, how many trees do we have? Um, I definitely want to foster and support having big trees, uh, within the community. So, you know, if, if you could have the growing conditions to support three giant trees versus, you know, smaller spaces and have 10 little trees, I would much rather take the three big trees. Um, so, you know, those are types of things that we talk about, you know, from a, a development or redevelopment perspective, uh, terrace with, um, soil conditions, what m many don't, uh, realize, or, or I guess think about on the forefront is to have a big tree. Really a lot of that is dictated by soil conditions. So if you have insufficient growing space, compacted soil, um, 
no matter what tree species that you plant, it's really never going to have an opportunity to mature to its fullest extent. So we can make some of those decisions and, you know, we can talk about having partnerships uh, on the front end with development, um, with engineers, with, you know, anyone else who's looking to plant a tree within the community um, on what does it take to kind of set the table for success um, and how would you potentially have that tree 40, 60, 80, 100 years from now really be in the best condition to, to grow and mature. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, tree choices, we have a caller on the line uh, right off the bat here today. Jerry, welcome. You're on a public affair with a question about uh, the choice of street trees, right? Yes, that's correct. Thanks, uh, Ian. Uh, I am a landscape architect. I've lived here about 40 years, and over that time, the homeowner's choice or input into selecting a tree for the terrace or tree lawn seems to have greatly diminished. I'm wondering if there's a list or a procedure how a homeowner can, you know, ask for something, you know, as opposed to the lines and lines of green ash and honeysuckle that they planted in the subdivisions past. There isn't a list, um, but actually in, with deference to what you're describing of, you know, um, individual species that were uh, monoplanted up and down individual blocks or stretches. That's exactly why we as the city have a role in deciding what that canopy is going to look like. So um, that Madison was not unique from other communities across the Midwest. It, it was predominantly elm way back in the day. Dutch elm came through. We replanted with things like uh, you know, honey locust, green ash, Norway maple. Um, now you have another host specific pest like emerald ash borer, and that's causing another uh, generational canopy shift in how we're managing the, those individual species. So, um, what I can say is that going forward is, uh, you know, in your profession as well, you, you know, you're aware that not every plant survives in every place, and so we will be very prescriptive and specific about uh, both the size of the tree that we could plant uh, based on the planting space and the conditions, but also the species that we would replant. So if it's a block of green ash and we lose a tree, uh, certainly we're not going to be planting ash anyway, but um, so let me change my example to Norway maple. If it's a block of Norway maples and uh, we lose a tree, we're not replanting a Norway maple. It's going to be something different. It could be a Kentucky coffee tree. It could be a swamp white oak. It could be a bur oak. Um, could be hackberry um you know if it's a site that supports a large canopy species that's really what we're looking to do and um well i can appreciate uh citizen feedback resident feedback on what what they want to see in front of their house um as the city we're also charged with trying to manage that canopy across the entire community so Uh, We're actually working right now on updating. Uh, We have a citywide street tree inventory, and we're working on updating that inventory too. So there's about 80,000 dots on the map right now. Um, I'm expecting when we're done with this update, it'll probably be closer to 100,000 dots. Um, And that's something that, you know, we weigh our uh, canopy-wide decisions on. So, you know, the city has, you know, multiple property managers uh, within the community. So in my role... City Forester, I'm in charge of terrace trees, you know, mostly between the sidewalk and the curb. Um, There's also Madison Parks. Um, They have thousands of trees, I'm sure, on their properties. I don't know what that count is. 
Um, there's also engineering with their stormwater greenways with hundreds, if not thousands of trees. And so, um, you know, since my arrival, I'm working on kind of integrating with those parties as well on, you know, building those professional and personal relationships so that we're managing Madison's canopy and I'm not just doing, you know, street trees in one way and someone else is managing something else in another way. Um, you know, similarly for, you know, individual residents as well, um, you know, reaching out to forestry to talk about the trees that are on their property. Um, you know, that's something that we want to be a professional partner for too. So, um, long answer to a short question, can an individual resident, uh, request or, um, pick the tree that's going to be planted in front of their house? The answer is no, but, um, please do know that, you know, we are being very thoughtful about what is going in there, what we think will survive, what has survived, um, there, uh, in similar conditions across uh, the city. Cause we are, we are looking for something that would last, um, you know, well beyond my generational time here. And it sounds like you have a very holistic, integrated kind of approach as well. You're talking about working with private landowners and their trees and parks and all these other um, entities that uh, have control over trees in the urban space and trying to think about how each decision contributes to a larger whole, right? Certainly, yeah. certainly. So, you know, in my role as the city forester, you know, I'm directly in charge of, let's say, 100,000 trees. And I think we can lead the way on, you know, what we're doing, um, providing professional guidance um, and, you know, following in industry recommendations on what individual tree owners um, or other property managers, I guess, across the community could do. But, you know, the research also shows that, you know, within an urban center, one in 10 trees, uh, maybe one in four trees on the high end are public trees. The rest are all private trees. So, you know, my ability to, to actually directly influence things is somewhat limited. And so I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I would like to be in a position where the city of Madison forestry staff and department as a whole can set the table and be a model for what others can potentially do. Um, can ask some thoughtful questions, can partner with other um, organizations across the community that might be able to plant in places that we can't, and um, find ways to continue to increase canopy. Because, you know, I, I can plant trees till I'm blue in the face that are street trees, um, but if I'm not having the same influence or support to get trees on, on private property, uh, you know, whether that's in a residential front yard, backyard, uh, school property, uh, commercial property elsewhere like there there is a ton of land area across the city that I have almost mm -hmm. no control over mm -hmm. um, I can guarantee you that the community is interested in having canopy there uh, the, the community as a whole is certainly interested in in trying to support the canopy benefits uh, to the best that we can across all of those those areas so you know public trees do provide an element of stormwater interception or shading um, you know some carbon storage and sequestration for climate change issues. But, you know, all of those things are compounded when you start adding in all the private trees that are there as well. Uh, the community would be very, very different if we didn't have some of those those really large, majestic private trees. You don't get big trees by, by uh, magic. Um, they were planted as small trees and they were given the support to grow over, you know, potentially hundreds of years. Yeah, so you're listening to A Public Affair. Thank you for the call, Jerry. And that is Madison City Forester Ian Brown 
talking about the complex choices that the city of Madison and the forestry department there makes about planting trees in Madison and how that fits into the larger picture, the kind of complex conversation you often get here on a public affair. And I like to talk about climate issues. I like to talk about ecological issues here on this show. But you're always going to get, hopefully, some kind of grounded local angle. And that's exactly what we're doing today on the show. And I have with me my fellow WART volunteer, Sarah Gabler, to talk a little bit more about what we do here on A Public Affair and why we need your support to keep going and creating this show and all of the great shows you get here on WRT. Sarah? Yes, thanks, Douglas. You're listening to the show because you care about those local issues like Tree Canopy. And I've got some good news. We've got an online uh, pledge fulfillment from Anonymous. Thank you, Anonymous, um, who's listening, loves the classical shows on WORT and um, filled out their, you know, pledge online, which you can do, too, at WORTFM.org. There's an orange donate button at the top of the page. Just click on that. Um, Give us a call also at 608-256-2001, extension one for... um, you know, to to make your pledge with us. Today is the last day of our pledge drive, and we want to hear from you. Perhaps you've already donated because you're listening nonstop to this station, and you've been listening to us for the long term, for the short term. And um, we hope you maybe give us a call back. If you have an extra $5, you can share it our way (laughs) absolutely yeah and if you're looking out your car window right now or looking out your window at home you can see something that we are talking about here on on air today and sarah i'm going to put you on the spot what is Mm -hmm. one thing that you have thought about already on your street or here in madison as you've driven or biked around that connects with something you've heard ian talking about already today oh absolutely i was driving around with a friend yesterday and we were noticing how the ash trees are starting to change before some of the others and so thinking about what kinds of trees are planted along the roadways and in the public space in Madison was a conversation I was having yesterday. Who knew that I'd be in the studio today hearing more and hearing some really beautiful tree names. I just love to hear a list of. (laughs) And we'll talk more about those here as we get into choices that that tree managers make. So give us a call if you're enjoying this conversation, 608-256-2001, extension one for donors today here on A Public Affair at WRT 89.9 FM Madison. We're going to turn back to my guest, Ian Brown, Madison City Forester. If you'd like to talk with him, if you have a question about Madison's urban forest, you can give us a call also at 608-256-2001. But that's extension 9 to talk uh, live on the air with Madison City Forester Ian Brown to share a question or an anecdote about a beloved tree or a tree issue you have in your neighborhood. So Ian, um, I'd like to bring us back down to the ground here. And uh, in your time here, you've been here since May, uh, working as city forester in Madison. I'd love uh, to hear from you about your uh, most memorable trees that you've encountered here in Madison so far, or or locations for that matter. Maybe we could talk more broadly, but what are, have been some really uh, spots or trees that have stuck in your mind as you think about the urban forest here in Madison? Uh, I certainly appreciate uh, the long-term dedicated effort 
that the community has had towards supporting Canopy. And and that's seen through the width of the terraces, so the, the distance between the sidewalk and the curb. Uh, it, it's very clear that for a period of time now, um, that has been a priority for the community. And, you know, when you give those trees more space, they can get to be bigger. And, you know, along with that, you have, I've been on site for, you know, some big old oak trees and those are not something that I'm used to seeing around very much and you know these are trees that are you know I'm I'm six foot so my arms are probably about that long too um I certainly cannot reach around these trees anywhere close to it um and it's you know kind of awe-inspiring to sit back and think you know yes I'm coming up onto those trees I appreciate the canopy that they have the size that they are um when, when you first approach it's like okay that's pretty cool and then you stop and think about, okay, what is the history that this particular tree has witnessed? Um, you know, I'm about 40. Um, I'm 41 now. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've lived a good long life, but, you know, these trees have been around considerably longer than that. And, you know, what has what has their environment done? What, ha, what have they, you know, seen in the development of that neighborhood, um, the change of that area? You know, they can't get up and walk away in the same, that we, same way that we can. And so, you know, what has this tree endured, the resiliency that it has demonstrated, you know, um, heat stress, drought stress, uh, polar vortex, um, construction, uh, and, you know, any of those things. It's an urban tree, so it might be auto impact and storm damage too, you know, like mm-hmm. um, those things happen and, you know, this tree has made it through all of that. And so, you know, you have these um, unique specimens and, and they really are um, breathtaking and awe-inspiring to start thinking about, you know, both what they have endured, but also kind of the, the human impact of people put in effort to make sure that those trees had the support along the way. You know, we did not tear up the sidewalk or tear up the road there where, you know, they could have caused damage to that tree. We preserved that park space to make sure those trees could uh, remain. Um, And that type of ongoing investment, sometime at an individual level, sometime at a community-wide level. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of support that really encourages me about joining this community. Thanks for sharing those both anecdotes and the bigger picture that they connect to. Um, I like those seeing those big trees as well and thinking about the moments of history that they've been witness to. But as you say, they face a lot of specific challenges as urban trees. Tell us a little bit more about what an urban tree has to deal with that, say, a tree in a, a forest, a more natural forest, doesn't in terms of survival. What, what are those challenges that urban trees face? Uh, urban trees have to make it. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you lose a tree in a natural setting, uh, nature has a way. You know, there, there's going to be a, a short gap in that canopy, um, but then every other tree around the area is going to be growing and, and competing for that space. It, you know, if, if I plant a tree in my front yard, I am expecting that it will survive. And um, it's a big issue if it doesn't because there's not a bunch of other canopy that's there to take over that space. So we, we kind of rely as urban foresters, we, we rely on the nursery industry to help us pick those strongest strains, um, give us the both the shape of the canopy, the color of the canopy, um, maybe disease resistance, you know, those types of things that we would you know, kind of rely on nature to lead the way on in, in other settings. But um, in an urban setting, we don't have that. Other things that we have that, uh, you know, a rural forest setting might not is, you know, soil compaction, high pH. Um, So, you know, anytime that you're around construction or construction activities, heavy human activity, 
um, you know, those, those can certainly take out pore space from um, soil. You could have overland flow of water, uh, either if it's been, been paved and directed away from areas uh, to kind of get rid of water, surface water from a space versus uh, having pervious surface that's allowed to percolate down through. Um, you can have simple things like just structure. So, um, you know, you look at urban development and you, you could have a, a one or two story homestead that's then um, purchased and turned into a six or eight story multi-use commercial building. And um, so, you know, th those are types of things that, uh, that will come up. Um, Madison is absolutely a developing community. Um, it's a desirable community, which is why it continues to grow in population. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of things about uh, the desirability of living here and, and the green space and the trees as a part of that are, I think, part of what really do draw people in um, and encourage people to stay. And so that's something that I take very, very seriously. So, you know, the canopy that we think about and enjoy and appreciate right now, the, the big mature canopy, I've had almost nothing to do with that, both because of my tenure here, but also just my, my time as a city forester or urban forester is not that long. The trees that we're appreciating now were from a generation or two before. So I'm a cog in the wheel. We're trying to be shepherds and stewards to encourage that canopy to be there for, you know, my daughter's or my grandchild's generation um, and doing what we can to help move the needle, both in a climate change direction, but also a sustainability direction for planting more resilient forests. So, you know, like we talked with the first caller too, you know, not having monocultures. That's something that we absolutely are wise enough as an industry now to move beyond. And so to try and build the, the resiliency of our urban forest in a way that, you know, if we have the next icky bicky bug that comes and takes out honey locust, um, you know, what, what can we do? So we're losing a tree here, a tree there, rather than whole blocks or swaths of trees. So that, that's something that we, we definitely want to try and focus on. Yeah. So many things, uh, to talk about in what you just mentioned there. I think I'll jump on the issue of invasives first, and then maybe we'll zoom out to climate. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned earlier, there is this, uh, critter called the emerald ash borer out there and, uh, past generations have planted many, many big green ash trees, um, that are providing marvelous shade still, um, where they, where they're still around in urban settings. Um, how is the city of Madison handling, uh, emerald ash borer right now? And, uh, what's the prospect for those green ash trees that are left uh, here in the city? So uh, Madison does have a ash management plan and strategy. So some trees were removed. Um, the trees that have remained are under a treatment cycle, basically. So um, there are uh, products out there that work. Um, emerald ash borer is a pest that feeds below the in the cambial layer of the uh, the tree. So it's just below the bark, kind of between the bark and the hard wood. Um, but what that ends up doing is in their larval stage, they girdle the tree or basically like cut off circulation of uh, fluid and nutrients for the tree. So a human analogy would be like sticking a rubber band on, around your arm. So um, if you were to do that for a short period of time, uh, you know, at low infestation levels, the tree can recover. Uh, if you leave that rubber band on for a long period of time and you keep making it tighter, your arm's going to be in rough shape. So um, that's kind of what we're doing with the trees as well. So we actually... Um, inject uh, the, the trees with a, a pesticide that keeps them protected for, uh, you know, up to three years. And so then we just, we cycle through. So, uh, you know, as you pointed out, those trees that we have are big trees 
and so we basically have two options so you either can treat the tree or you can make plans uh, whether now or later to remove the tree but there there really is no known third option um, waiting is effectively choosing to remove the tree you're just doing it at a later date so you know recognizing that those those are big trees those big trees have value um, that's something that this the city and the community as a whole has um, continued to invest in and so uh, we as Madison forestry have um, actually moved forward with a, a cyclical treatment program and so if you see um, you know crews out on, on the street they'll they'll be kneeling at the base of the tree um, and they actually just in, inject a pesticide um, into a closed system and uh, those trees then are protected for the next three years so if we see those ash trees still that probably means they've been treated at yeah, this point the, yeah within the city for sure um, I've been a part actually where I was in Milwaukee before like we know for sure what we were doing was working. We'd have uh, street trees that were treated still green, healthy at the curb, and then you have a, a tree on private property next to the house, stone dead. And you could see you know, woodpecker damage up and down the tree, the D-shaped exit holes, all the signs of EAB being in that tree. Um, not every tree is a viable treatment candidate. Um, some are inaccessible. Um, some aren't necessary either through size or other reasons, maybe condition class. But, you know, uh, like I was talking about with the, the street trees before, we want all those trees to survive. It, it makes a big deal if, you know, the one tree in front of your house um, doesn't make it. Um, so, you know, we're managing, you know, 10,000 trees on the street that are um, currently under treatment. So, like, it, it, it's a good number. Um, those are big trees, and those are ones that we have ongoing plans to continue to, to manage. And when you do lose trees, um, tell us a little bit more about that process of selecting what's happening. This is fall planting season, right? This is a time when a lot of trees get planted. What kinds of trees are you planting right now, and how are those decisions made? So uh, as far as planting goes, we it starts with a site assessment, really. So, you know, what is there? How big is the site? Um, what are the soil conditions? Are there overhead utilities? Um, you know, how close is the, the adjacent home even, you know, for do we need a, a narrow canopy species versus a wider canopy species? Um, so we'll remove the tree above grade, uh, grind out the stump, and most often we're planting a tree back in that same spot. So you'll have other below grade conflicts like gas line, water line, um, you know, other utilities that would potentially be in that growing space. So, you know, we'll use diggers hotline to make sure that we're marking and digging in a safe location. Um, and then looking at what are the, uh, tree species distribution both across the city as well as in the neighborhood. So um, emerald ash borer is a really good example um, pertaining to, to ash and you know if I have ash on all across my block even if the trees are treated um, and you know we were to lose a bunch of them I don't really personally care as much what's three blocks over. Um, if, if I lost all the trees on my block I'm going to be uh, pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, those are all the trees in, in my immediate neighborhood. My, my porch is going to be hot or all that stuff. So um, what we're trying to do is find and set the, the community and, and individual blocks up for success in the future that um, things will look different. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be the same species. It's not going to be all the same size, but um, it's not all that way in the forest either. So, um, you know, trying to have and um, introduce from a management perspective, introduce some of that flexibility, resiliency um, into the urban uh, forest and urban canopy so that, you know, some of those 
impacts that will come, and we know that they're going to. Um, you know, we didn't anticipate EAB. That came from global trade. We didn't anticipate Dutch Elm. That came from, you know, stuff too. So um, there is going to be things that come further down the line. We don't know what they are. We just try and set the deck as, as best that we can for that resiliency going forward. Yeah, and speaking of resiliency, we should talk a little bit about climate and how that impacts um, your work as well. Um, just anecdotally, I've seen tree species planted recently, like yellow poplar that I never would have expected, you know, here this far north. They're a little on the northern edge of their range. Is that in part because you're thinking about the warming climate? Um, and are there trees in particular that you're planting now that maybe in the past you wouldn't have planted here as a result of the warming climate? We're definitely looking at that. I was at a, uh, a talk a couple of years ago, and uh, the researcher was describing what climate change would look like. And they said specifically that uh, southern Wisconsin, they had predicted to be more like central Missouri within 100 years. Um, that absolutely caught my attention. Um, 100 years sounds like a ways away, but when you talk about the life of a tree, uh, it's not. And you know, I would certainly hope that some trees that I have a role in planting would be around 100 years from now. And kind of as we talked about before, too, trees can't get up and walk away. If it gets too hot or dry for them, they're kind of stuck. So um, we are uh, both now looking at dabbling um, and continuing to pilot some other species that we may not have before, looking to central Illinois or south even um, to find species that uh, survive and thrive there that maybe we hadn't planted in Wisconsin before. Um you know, the trick is we might also get that polar vortex. Yeah. <laughs> so finding something that is also cold hardy, um, that can survive the, the heat and drought associated with, you know, even conditions like we saw this last summer. So, um, you know, we are trying to do what we can. Um, trees are not something that you just uh, touch once, you know, you don't plant them and then just walk away. Um, if, if you can, uh, certainly, you know, mulching them, watering them, um, being cognizant of, you know, avoiding other damage or, you know, thoughtful about your pruning, what time of year, how stressed is the tree at the time that you're doing that, you know, those types of things can certainly help to set that tree up for success going forward. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. I'm Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with City of Madison Forester Ian Brown. If you have a question for Ian Brown about urban forestry and trees in the City of Madison or want to share an anecdote about trees here, please do give us a call and join the conversation at 608 256 2001 extension 9 you can also reach out to us today on this last day of our fall pledge drive to help keep the work of wart going just like ian was saying you have to tend trees you can't just plant them and forget about them we've got to tend to our community resources like wrt as well there are a lot of things that require maintenance and care here at wrt like uh, soundboards and infrastructure and the roof, all kinds of things to keep uh, your beloved WRT going. So please do give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 1, if you'd like to donate. And I'm going to turn it to my colleague Sarah Gabler here in the studio with me, Wart Volunteer, to tell us a little bit more about the Pledge Drive. Thanks, Douglas. Um, we want to hear from you to help us, uh, you know, meet our fundraising goals. We'd love to hear from three folks before this show ends today. So please give us a call or go online. Um, one of the things that your funds help us do is keep this building running, keep the infrastructure in good shape, um, but also to make it possible for our reporters to go out into the field and get the content that gets on the airwaves 
Um, I'm a reporter on the Thursday evening, 6 p.m. local news, and I know that um, I need to have an up-and-running good field recorder to go out there and capture the audio um, that I share with you on the airwaves on Thursdays. And we're looking to fund four new field recorders um, this pledge drive. They, they run to the tune of $450 a piece, and we'd like to get four so our reporters can be getting you that that content. Um, so please give us a call. Go online, wortfm.org, or the phones at 608-256-2001. Help us meet our goals this pledge drive, um, and help me get out into the field on Thursdays with the up and running recorder so I can get you what the sound that you want. Um, and you know, when you make a donation, we've got a little gift for you. Um, at the $35 level, we've got this really, really cool vintage wart embroidered patch I carried around. I love it. People, people love it too. My mom got one. She loves it. Um, it's a orange vintage microphone in a field of black and the WORT 89.9 FM on the top. Um, so you can show off your love for this local station, bringing you local topics. I'm glad you mentioned the local news, Sarah. I'm a big fan, and uh, it's really important work, just like uh, what we do here on A Public Affair is a unique, important setting for uh, local leaders, local people, local organizers to come on the air and uh, tell you about what's happening in our community, how you can be involved, answer your questions, and that's exactly what we're doing here today on the show with Madison City Forester, Ian Brown. We have about 15 minutes left with Ian. If you want to give us a call to ask a question about uh, Madison's Urban Forest, you can call us at 608-256-2001, extension 9. So, Ian, um, I know uh, in talking to you and corresponding with you a little bit before the interview, um, you've talked about the importance of collaboration and relationships in your work as a city forester. Um, tell us about the collaborative nature of urban forestry and why relationships are so important. And are there any particular stories of community collaboration so far in your time here since May that you want to tell us about that have really stuck with you? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm here because of uh, collaboration and professional networking. So um, I had a number of friends, uh, professional colleagues from, that I knew through the Wisconsin Arborist Association mm -hmm. that work here in the area and had uh, let me know about the, the position. Um, and so you know, that's something that, you know, you, you build relationships, you work with people, um, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you need to know someone who is. And um, I've found that to be a, a much uh, easier and more fulfilling path in life. Um, and I enjoy working with people and, uh, and I enjoy uh, kind of sharing the knowledge. So I knew nothing at, at one point. Actually, some could argue I still do, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, where, where I'm, I'm coming from is I, I want to be in a position to try and uh, learn from those that know more than me and also share knowledge with those that uh, are interested in what I know more about. And, you know, so you were talking about, you know, networking, we have professional networks, you have, uh, you know, professional associations, um, you have Dane County, you have Madison College, you have other uh, professional arborists that are here in the area. You know, as an arborist myself, like, 
what I'm looking to do is when I, I talk with residents, really trying to emphasize that hiring a professional is important. Um, and, you know, trumpeting the, the value in, in the same way we were just talking about with, you know, the, the radio as well of seeing value in what you're um, spending your time and money on. So, you know, for a community like Madison uh, or the community of Madison that loves trees as much as they do, there are a lot of jobs here in arboriculture. Um, and so that's something that I, I take very uh, seriously about, you know, wanting to support, you know, trees and arboriculture are not something that can be outsourced. Um, you know, you can't dig up a tree and send it overseas, get it pruned and put it back. Um, wherever there's a tree, there's a job. And that's our job as industry. Um, this, this is that communication, collaboration and um, networking and support to really get that message out there of if you have a tree, you should really be looking to hire, you know, a certified arborist, certainly hiring a professional to come and help you and do that work. Um, trees are big and, uh, you know, the, when they fail, it's spectacular. Um, when things go right, you know, you don't want to be hiring someone who's, you know, you know, making a prey symbol or whatever before YouTube, before they make their cut. It's, you know, someone who, you know, does this all the time. They're insured. Um, they're certified. They, they know what they're doing. And honestly, when you watch them do it, it should be like this beautiful ballet that looks super simple of like, oh, I could have totally done that. It's only because they've anticipated and done this so many times that like they do make it look simple. I, I watch Usain Bolt run and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could run that fast. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, it's only because they do this and they, they're so good at it. And um, so supporting those types of um professionals in in what we do um that that's where that collaboration and networking comes from so um I, I think that that's something you know as as an industry we're certainly looking for more qualified individuals um there are definitely jobs to be had um and you know really trying to to build up that support here within the community of you know how do we get people into the you know a family supporting career path yeah. um that's you know they're they're local folks working a local job and they're working for the community here and they provide all kinds of uh benefits to the community right not only taking care of that tree landscape but um everybody's landscape i know for example an arborist who provides free mulch to people in the neighborhood you know and many do that sort of thing and help out with their neighbors about managing their trees as well. So like you said, um, they're doing really important work and, and I can see where those relationships would be really important for you. Um, as I was listening to you talk, Ian, I was also thinking about the issue of cost and equity in managing trees in an urban landscape. And of course, not everybody has the same resources to manage their own trees on their uh, own home properties, um, but also there are parts of the city um, that don't have the same kind of canopy as others. Um, how do those socioeconomic and financial issues kind of play into your work? I'll, I'll leave it as a big picture question for now, and then maybe we can go into more detail in a minute. You hit on exactly why I'm a municipal forester. Uh, I, I love that the scope and scale of my work crosses all boundaries. It's anywhere within the community. And uh, I enjoy and appreciate because what I found in my travels is that it, it is not uh, tied to anyone's uh, socioeconomic status of how much they care about trees. Uh -huh. um, you can have someone who is incredibly affluent, who is deeply dedicated to their tree and loves it. You can have someone who is on a fixed income that is deeply dedicated to their tree and loves it. And as a municipal forester, guess what? I'm employed by all of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I get to spend time uh, with 
everyone and kind of share the story of, you know, what is your tree? Why is it here? What can you do best for your tree? Um, and when you can make those connections and actually that's why I'm in urban forestry as well is, um, I like trees, but more than, more than that, I like the relationship that people have with their trees. And so a lot of urban forestry is about that, that marriage between trees and people. And so, you know, that gets to the collaboration piece that gets to the relational piece. Um, and so, you know, when we're talking about what are the priorities of the city of Madison forestry department, we absolutely look at community canopy coverage when we're making planting decisions. Um, that goes to, you know, where or who am I looking to talk to for community partnership opportunities? Um, but yes, Madison is no different than any other community that I've been a part of or grown up in. Um, there are areas that, uh, can, uh, stand for having a little bit more support um, and other areas that are probably going to be just fine if we um, we don't um, you know they may have uh, an opportunity where you know the, the city can come in and and step in and help to prop up areas where there may be less canopy target areas for planting where there may be less canopy and there there may be some other they're usually older older parts of town um, you know maybe older homes older streets older trees so sometimes those are also areas of greater affluence and and those areas are doing just fine without some of our extra investment so so targeting the areas to try and really use use canopy as an opportunity to to bring the best that madison has to all parts of the community is really really important and that's something that i'm able to do as the forester and talking about canopy you've talked a little bit already about the benefits of shade and um, reducing heat and obviously that's something we're all concerned about these days um some communities, there's been a lot of studies about the absence of trees and the correlation to heat index and urban heat islands and really causing a lot of public health issues, the absence of trees in urban neighborhoods. Are there kind of glaring spots like that in Madison that you're aware of where we know that there is a more intense heat island developing because we don't have enough trees? I don't know if it would be enough. Um the isthmus okay. is, mm -hmm. is, is always a challenge as, as any area that, uh, you know, is, uh, in intensively developed, um, w the isthmus will never be just a green strip, but there are things that we can do. And there's actually technologies that are available now that weren't available even, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, where we can improve growing space below grade. Um, so they're called suspended terrace solutions, but basically it's like a, a suspended box that you can put below like the concrete or the street. So instead of having just compacted soil um, through and through throughout the canopy, or I'm sorry, that, that soil column, um, you can actually have loose soil there. And so there are uh, stormwater benefits to that. Um, there are certainly canopy benefits to that because you could have um, loose soil actually underneath even concrete. Um, and so the tree itself may have, you know, 10 times the amount of growing space below grade than it used to have. Um, so, you know, there are those solutions in place along state street and other places along the Capitol square, um, on the surface, it can be difficult to see what those particularly look like. Um, but if you see a big tree with concrete all around, chances are good. Either that's one tough sucker, or it probably had some engineered solutions to try and help it along. That's fascinating. Are those expensive technologies? 
Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would I would also argue that, um, you know, when you talk about the life of the tree, yeah. the livability of the city, you know, you are talking about potentially thousands of dollars. But at, at what cost? What's the cost of not doing anything? Yeah. Right. So, um, yes, uh, we are always talking with either developers or even internal communication lines with the city of finding ways to try and improve that planting space so that we can have potential mature canopy in those places going forward because the the scope and scale that we're looking at as foresters again like we're talking about decades worth of of vision you know if, if you're redoing a street maybe it's 60 years i'm not an engineer so don't quote me on that but you know you're, you're talking about a, a period of time well 60 years is about the front end that I want a tree to survive for. So that, that's like the shortest lived tree that I'm talking about. If I could have something that would survive for a hundred plus years, I'm even more interested in that. So, you know, trying to forecast what are the growing conditions, what's the development going to be, what's, um, you know, even what the road conditions are going to be uh, on an individual space, 60, 80, a hundred years from now is challenging um but you know really trying to be transparent on the front end of yes we're talking about a couple thousand of dollars but you know this tree over the course of its life would provide you know 10 100x more um return on value than that um just spending that amount up front absolutely you made a really great argument for that about uh how it's important to invest in creating spaces for trees even if it costs some money we want to bring in one caller here before we have to wrap up here for the hour we have dawn on the line with a comment about trees on the north side dawn welcome to a public affair oh thank you very much and welcome Ian, to madison so I've ha i have a concern that i have neighbors that keep cutting down huge huge trees it, one just happened a big walnut on saturday and so i'm wondering if the city would um, think about having an outreach program because the retention of these big trees, like you've been speaking to this whole program, is really important for a number of things. So that's my comment, and I love the program. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dawn. Uh, Ian? Uh, so we don't have any uh, municipal ordinances that I'm aware of that would prohibit that. Uh, certainly uh, public information campaigns support uh you know the challenge with trees is, is that you know once you make the decision to remove it's really hard to put them back like you can't duct tape it back in place so you know there's generations potentially worth of impact there um private trees uh to me are all about uh building those relationships building that understanding um and and, and really trying to have that conversation of you know, having the removal be the choice of last resort. So is there anything else that could be done? Is, you know, does the patio have to go exactly there? Um, is the the annoyance of raking leaves or, you know, maybe with walnuts, having the fruit uh, drop in your yard, is, is that sufficient to make that decision permanent? Um, I, I tried very delicately about, you know, getting onto individuals private property and, and dictating what they can and can't do but I, I do certainly welcome and encourage having an engaged conversation about you know what that tree means to not only the community the immediate community in the neighborhood but also the broader community and, and the role that that tree has in you know Madison's overall canopy goals so um yeah, it, it's hard for me to weigh in without mm -hmm. kind of knowing the full context I, I can fully appreciate where you're coming from 
Um, but I guess for what it's worth, I as the forester will try and have a hundred thousand tree sites across the city between the the terrace and the curb that we're going to do our darndest to make sure that every every neighborhood within Madison has viable canopy. And I appreciate it, Ian, the way you just kind of expanded the conversation and said, think about every possible um, contingency before you take down that tree, right? Help me think about a couple of local trees in particular. And I think you just illustrated really the value of what we're trying to do here at WRT and a public affair really perfectly um, in terms of connecting people around local issues with things that they care about. And I'm so grateful for you coming in today, Ian. Um, I've been talking with Ian Brown, Madison City Forester. Um, thanks for coming in, Ian. Thank you very much for having me. And we've got a couple minutes here left, Sarah. I'm here with my colleague, Sarah Gabler, to talk about the importance of what we do here at WRT and um, why it would be important for you as we uh, close today to let us know that you care about what we do here by giving us a donation, whatever you can manage to help keep WRT and a public affair going. You can call us at 608 256 2001 extension one to talk to the folks out in the lobby who do we have there today sarah do you remember oh yes we have warren out there taking calls thank, thank you, you warren. warren yeah um and we have just a couple of minutes left and we have amy of course our receptionist who's always here on mondays thank you amy um and we had a caller suggest this outro song that we've got in the background here john gorka uh fitting for our tree conversation today sarah take us out here last couple of minutes um to bring in some callers we've had uh, one donor so far this hour right so far and can we get another person on the line or on the website making a pledge online um you're listening to this show because you're a curious person because you care about local topics, how your city works, how the trees on your terrace arrive and how long they've been there. Um, and that's why I listen to a public affair. I'm curious and I'm from day to day. I don't really know what I'm curious about, but I know my curiosity <laughs> is going to be satisfied by listening to this show, which you can get every day of the week. It's a special, special thing. So please give us a call and show us your love. Help us keep this station up and running for the years to come. We're thinking long term here, too. We'd like a new roof. You know, it's a very important part of our infrastructural it's a canopy. Yep. Yes, yes. So whatever you can give on this last day of the pledge drive is gonna go to something very material to keep us up and running and on the airwaves and in your ears for decades to come. Thanks, Sarah. So I'm going to take us out here. You've been listening to A Public Affair, and I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. I've been talking today with City of Madison Forester Ian Brown. Uh, we've got Madison Book Beat coming up with a live show in studio. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WRT 89.9 FM Madison. I also want to thank today's engineer, Andrew Thomas, producer Jade Isiri Ramos, and news director Sholly Pittman. Thanks also to Sarah Gabler again for coming in to help out with Pledge Drive today and uh, folks answering the phones and thank you for listening to A Public Affair. I'm gonna read I'm gonna read to my